Well, as you'll have noticed, if you are a regular listener, we work hard to get some great guests on our show. And of course, it's probably why you keep coming back. Thank you. And if it's your first time, then welcome. We have a treat coming up for you on this one. Now, one fairly consistent characteristic of our guests is the variety of careers many of them have had before deciding that insurance is the place to be. Katie is no exception. She started her career working for a gold mining company and today is head of ESG for AXA XL for UK and Lloyds. Now, AXA XL is part of AXA, one of the largest insurers in the world. Well, we're all going to be spending more time trying to understand how to measure and reduce the impact of climate change, and it's an area ripe for opportunity if you have data or analytics to help. As a taster to our forthcoming climate change risk measurement report, we asked Katie to explain how AXA XL is getting to grips with the challenges that all insurers need to figure out. There's a lot to learn in this one, and I'm very grateful to Katie for sharing so much. If you like what you hear, then why not send a link to anyone else you think may benefit? Well, AXRXL is one of over 150 companies from insurance and technology around the world working with us to untangle the world of innovation in insurance. If you're not already talking to us and want to find out what you're missing, then please do contact me, Matthew Grant, on LinkedIn or any of us, hello at instec.london. But for now, here's Katie. Katie, really pleased to be talking to you today. I had a call with somebody yesterday. He said to me, he thinks these podcasts are too short. And given how much we've got to cover, you might have to make some extra special long one today, but uh, we'll see how you get on. But yeah, thanks for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. I'm, I'm sure we could run for several days if you needed us to. <laughs> several day podcast of Matthew Grant. I think that might get people definitely turning off. Anyway, I just want to talk a bit about your background first, and then we're going to dig into what's happening with you personally and Axe XL and talk about this whole evolving world of climate change. And ESG. So a bit about your background. You've got a degree in earth sciences from Oxford. You started off outside of insurance as a geologist. I think you're in a gold mine and we're looking forward to hearing more about that. And you joined, I think, what was then Catlin, which has since through various different acquisitions now become part of Axra Excel. Uh, eight years ago, you were an underwriter. And then recently, you were co-chair of the product innovation facility in Lloyd's. Crikey. And you took on this new role in September 21. You've got... <laughs> A lot going on. Is there anything I've missed in there that we should also mention? I like to keep myself busy. I suppose there's a couple of other like market forums that I'm part of. So I'm I'm deputy chair of the IUA Climate Risk Committee. I sit on the LMA EHT Working Group. So um, you'll find me pretty much everywhere, to be honest. So Katie, you've given me two acronyms in there. LMA, I know that one. That's the London Market Association. But the uh, what was the other one we had in there? So we've got the IEA as well, so the International Underwriting Association, which brings together those non-lawyers markets. Well, talking about acronyms, now we're going to be talking about ESG and uh, environmental societal governance for those that by now have figured out what that means. Uh, quite a wide-ranging area of uh, criteria there. We tend to focus quite a lot on the environmental, but I think as you're going to mention, the societal and government sides are also important. So a lot of companies now are starting to allocate someone in this role. Congratulations to you. What is, I can see, going to be an increasingly important role. But can you just talk a bit about, I guess, from your perspective and for Axa XL, what does this mean for the company and what does it mean for your role? I think one of the reasons that I was approached to take on this position was because of that unique business perspective that I bring to it. So I'm not coming from a strict sustainability background as an example. I very much come out of the business having been an underwriter and, and worked in strategy and worked in portfolio management. What it means within within the UK Lloyd's business unit is really bringing to life what ESG means from from a client perspective in particular. So when we when we built up our ESG strategy, we we kind of split it into two strands. 
Strand one. Our business operations, so what that means for us, so that would incorporate all of our, for example, carbon reduction planning, our waste and water management, our IND and talent management strategies, our forward governance and, and development policies there as well. Strand two. And then the really big piece that I've been focusing on with, with my experience is the, the clients and the products and services piece. So making sure that we understand that as our clients go on these big ESG journeys, um, how we as insurers need to respond to that. So what is it from a, from their perspective that they're asking from us? What can we deliver? But also in terms of being a fiduciary responsibly in, insurer as well, or a fiduciary responsible insurer, we need to make sure that um, we're also getting due consideration in the changing risks faced by our clients as well as they go on these different journeys. You see that AXA is the holding company or group company is actually often one of the top companies identified in the space. We're going to talk a bit more about that before we go. You threw another acronym in there. I can't let you get away with that. I think it was IND, Inclusion and Diversity. Have I got that right? Yeah, that's right. Which is part of the societal bit. Good. And, and then just before we go on a bit more in, in ACRA XL, I do want to come back in you know, part of your own, the relevance. So you mentioned underwriting, but as I mentioned earlier before, and we were talking a bit about when we prepared for this, you quite intrigued about your first career in uh, as a, a geologist in, uh, I think it was in, in Africa in a, in a gold mine, is that right? So you've got a bit of perspective firsthand at what it means to be uh, on the other side of the the table, I guess, it's in terms to be a client and also somebody that is actually responsible for some emissions. Yeah, it was a really interesting time. So I was an exploration geologist at what I think is officially the first gold mine within Ethiopia. They, they pulled their first gold bar a couple of years ago now. So I think seven years from since I was there. Um, but yeah, on, on the ground, I experienced them firsthand, actually, what the kind of social impact of building such a, a large extracting business was. Um, so really interesting to, to see from that perspective. And then also the balance of actually the, the economic draw of, of building that mine there and the benefits that it was going to create for all of those communities. So yeah, it's very too first hand that, that very fine balance of, of introducing businesses into very rural communities. Really interesting as a sort of practitioner first hand. And I think sometimes you know, the external world can be too critical sometimes of people that are, are responsible for some of the missions and the speed with which they can make change. But I still want to come back to ESG and talk a bit about the definition of that, because one of the things we've found doing our research on this, it's quite difficult to come up with a consistent terminology for how companies or we're all looking at climate change. And, and of course, there's lots of different aspects to that. But is there a sort of way for anybody that wants to have a a relatively simple way to describe what it what are the priorities for organizations now within that you know, broader category of ESG when we think about the climate? It's really important, Matthew, for everybody to remember that climate is only one part of the E aspect of ESG. Um, very understandable that actually as an industry, we have focused on, on climate risk and climate change because it's such a huge source of loss for us. Um, and also, you know, as humanity, we're working together to address the climate crisis. So understandable that it, it takes up much of our consideration. When you're putting together an ESG strategy, you really must consider all parts of it, particularly because so many parts of ESG converge together. So if we were to think about one part of um, climate change as, as part of the E and, and talk about the energy transition, 
Um, there's the piece there around the, the just transition, so making sure that uh, all parts of society are included in that energy transition, but also from um, a social perspective in, in terms of how our clients and also how insurers address talent management and upskilling to make sure that we're all in a position to enable it. On that point about just transition, another term I've heard you used is climate poverty. Is that connected to that just transition, which is some parts of society are going to are going to have issues if we move away too quickly or force people to move away too quickly from traditional fuels and other types of processes? Is that is that what's behind that? I think the term there, Matthew, is is power poverty. So making sure that as investors, as insurers pull out of covering certain aspects of the energy industry, such as coal, um, making sure that there are parts of uh, the world that actually are not negatively impacted by that. So developing economies that are still wholly reliant on coal, as an example, and making sure that we don't disrupt uh, their economic development. For you in this role, how, how do you get things to actually happen in the organization. I mean, this is true for what you're doing. It's true for people trying to drive innovation. You've been given a very important mandate, but I'm sure a lot of people you're working with have got their own business goals, their own reporting lines. So, so how do you as, as Katie Lennon actually make a difference for the organization? That's a great question. So actually, since I, I took on the role, and as you said, it's, it's only been a couple of months now, the first uh, priority that I really put down is, is making sure that we communicate our purpose really widely across the organization so that our colleagues really understand what it is that they're getting behind, but also so that they can be part of it. But for me, the engagement has been so incredibly positive, actually, when making sure that our colleagues understand that act of purpose of um, acting for human progress by protecting what matters and what that means for us. So when we translate that into to what matters to us, the AXA Excel within the UK, um, and making sure that our, our colleagues can really understand why the actions they're taking are contributing to that. So we've also pulled together uh, networks of, of people. So we've got um, a formal ESG network now that's set up within our business, which is a knowledge sharing and idea sharing forum. We've made sure to select individuals that we know are change makers that are really going to contribute to that cultural and behavioural shift, which is required um, for companies to really act with purpose. That links back to something you said right at the beginning about business operations as being one of the areas to focus. Because you know, what strikes me about how to educate people and engage them is what might be in the scale of things less significant. I mean, it's still important, you know, how AXA XL is actually minimizing its own carbon footprint. But a big lever, as we'll talk about, is how do you work with your clients and influence them? But it seems like if you can engage people on what they can actually do themselves with their own day-to-day jobs, then they can understand the broader implications and actually feel they are making a difference as opposed to what might otherwise be a slightly uh, theoretical but hard to see the direct impacts of trying to sort of solve the broader problems. Is that is that that's how that's part of the sort of approach you've taken there? Absolutely. So we've pulled out what we like to call our, our good news stories. So making sure that our colleagues understand how what they're already doing is contributing to our purpose. And um, that's been incredibly important because it's allowed people to reframe some of the stuff that they're already doing before we talk about next steps and, and new ideas. What would be an example of that? I mean, we're all familiar now with you know, paper public transport to work. Most of us in London do that anyway. People now are using less paper anyway. What would be an example of something that you're seeing is is driving change if and, and makes it your good news story? Some of it is around some of the products and services that we already provide. 
to our clients. So actually thinking about how um, our life accident and health offering, for example, actually services those people who are otherwise um, financially excluded from certain insurance products due to long-term health conditions, as an example, and they can come to Deloitte's market and come to AXA Excel for those kinds of specific products where they might otherwise experience financial exclusion. Um, there's also, so during the uh, COVID-19 pandemic, during lockdowns, we have revamped our office building. And actually, we've made really proactive choices, uh, as an example, in um, funding LED lighting, uh, which has massively contributed to reducing our carbon footprint. We've made those kinds of decisions for other reasons other than ESG impact, but actually making people realise that they're already contributing in a huge way to our purposes has been really impactful. Yeah, like a lot of things, where you can align the commercial benefits with the broader longer term benefits, it's an easier sell, isn't it? And then we're sort of starting to get into this area, but measurement, I mean, that is the most focused way to understand what's happening, what's making a difference. We ourselves are working on this report, and thank you for your support on that, about how companies are measuring it, both at the the sort of investor asset level, but also at the underwriting level. We're not going to solve this in one question, we're not going to solve it in one podcast, but can you just help me understand some of the examples of where you have actually started to be able to measure impact and change across the organization? We have the AXA climate report, which is published by AXA Group every year, which is published in adherence to the TCFD, so the Task Force on Climate-Related Financial Disclosure. Did you get that? TCFD, Task Force on Climate-Related Financial Disclosures. Doesn't exactly trip off the tongue, does it? But it is worth finding out more about what that means. Katie is about to explain with some examples, but look out for our report where we describe this in more detail as well. Also, you're about to hear about scope one, two, and three emissions. If you aren't familiar with those, we'll hang in there. Katie's going to explain those in a minute, and we also cover them in our report. Okay, back to Katie. In there, we have warming potential measurements on our investment portfolios, and we also talk about volumes of client engagement in there. Um, there is particular focus in, in that report on the investment portfolio back to group because of its um, its makeup of, of so many different entities. But for, for general insurers and PNC insurers like ourselves, it is much more challenging. So where we've started to focus is on, for example, scope one, two, and three emissions. And hopefully you've heard about the um, the NZIA, so the Net Zero Insurance Alliance, who uh, have been convened under the UN um, from last year. And one of the things that they're hoping to tackle is actually a it's kind of a scope three emissions framework to, to help insurance companies really start to measure and manage that metric. Good. We're getting quite technical here, and there's a few things we need to talk a bit more about in that. So great to hear you got those ways of measuring what's going on. Some of those sounds like they are available to anybody that's interested to know what's going on. Some I suspect you just keep internally. Would that be, be right? There is a lot that is publicly published, um, for example, within that, that AXA climate report. But, but you're right, there, there are a lot of internal metrics that we would use as well. A lot of them are qualitative as well. So, for example, a lot of um, a lot of our metrics could be around um, engagement. Um, but then, of course, um, we also have, for example, some of the DNI disclosures where we would talk about, for example, gender pay gap reporting, which is compulsory for for UK companies. But there's also we're increasingly seeing ethnicity pay gap reporting as well, which is a, which is a really important topic. 
That's really helpful. And then I also want to come back to scope one, scope two, scope three. So perhaps you could just explain what they are and what the differences are, and then we can talk a bit about some of the challenges of measuring scope three in particular, which is where the insurers tend to have the biggest impact or at least are impacted in the greatest way and then ultimately potentially can have the biggest impact in other organizations. Scope one, two, and three is a way of categorizing the different kinds of carbon emissions that a company creates both in its own operations and across its wider value chain. So scope one covers the carbon emissions that a company makes directly. So for example, when running its boilers or running its vehicles, depending on, on what the operation is. Scope two are the indirect emissions. So for example, the electricity or energy that uh, companies are buying for their heating and cooling systems. So the energy that's being produced on their behalf. And then scope three is the category for all of the other emissions associated with the company's value chain. So whether that's from buying products from its suppliers and then the carbon emissions from when it uses those products, but also for the, the emissions related to when customers buy their products. So it's always, always the largest contributor of carbon emissions to, to any one company and is often considered as, for example, the sum of all of scope one and two emissions of all of the other companies in a single company's value chain. So it's, it's really complex. So the most important thing is that for insurers, it relates to the emissions uh, associated with its underwriting portfolio. Very eloquently put, Katie. I think we're going to catch that in writing somewhere. Uh, and for those who want to know more about it, it will be in our report because it is quite important to understand the distinction between scope one, two, and three. So scope one and two, that's where it seems like it's relatively easier for organizations to measure their own carbon emissions. You, you talked before, right, again, back at the beginning about business operations. Much, much harder if you're trying to do it for the emissions that your clients and from an underwriting perspective, that's a big part of it. So I guess the first question is, what's your view on where the world is in terms of being able to help companies measure their own emissions in terms of, you know, there are companies out there offering that. Have those, have those got to the point now that they're, they're reasonably credible and reliable for the, for the scope one and scope two? Yes, I think so. There's a, a large number of uh, carbon management companies, carbon consultancies, carbon accountants, where companies can um, consult with them to understand and, and measure what their scope one and two are. It is pretty well understood at this point. And to your point, the last one there, is that generally being done as a consulting project or are people licensing data like we talked to S&P last year? I know they've got a database of about 50,000 companies. There's data out there that can be licensed, but is your experience it still needs to have some consulting or advisory work around the data itself to actually make it useful? Yeah, your, your own carbon emissions are so unique to your own operation that it, it very much needs to be something that you do yourself and, and with the support of, of an expert. And then coming on to tricky one then, so scope three, I'm suspecting that's a big area for you. You talked about the net zero insurance alliance, we'll come back to that, but I know that's also one of the things they're looking at. So what are people starting to do to help understand what their exposure is from the clients they are underwriting their scope three emissions? Scope three for insurance companies is is very, very challenging. And um, if, we, if we jump straight into um, the NZIA, it's one of their key goals is having an industry consistent methodology for allocating scope three emissions. Um, and one of the reasons for that is because um, the, the challenges associated with, with Scope 3 include uh, both double counting, because insurance companies are both underwriters 
and investors. So making sure that you're aware of any kind of carbon double counting across those portfolios. And also because we might sell to a single client 15 different kinds of insurance products. Um, and that's if they're a small company, right? It could be actually that very large complex companies are buying 30 different kinds of products. And you also need to make sure that you don't have double counting within that. So we need to make sure that we've got a consistent methodology across the industry. And that's incredibly important so that you don't miss carbon allocation. Um, so that we know how much is being allocated to a property policy, to a casualty policy, to a security risk policy. These are really complex matters. And so do you see the emergence of some standardized reporting frameworks you know, in the same way that financial accounting evolved five, six hundred years ago or more? Is that starting to happen now? So there are you know, organizations, almost ways of measuring emissions that are consistent and therefore over time, not straight away, but it starts to get easier because you can start to roll up from the different companies. Yeah, so, so the NZAA is a group of kind of like heavyweight insurance companies, so predominantly very large European insurers, but of course, like Lloyd's, joined in uh, October last year, just before COP26. And as I said, they're working on an industry standard methodology because we do need that consistent across every insurance company. So we should see that methodology, hopefully from them, in the second half of this year. I think that's when uh, the goal is to be, to be publishing that. Of course, it requires everybody to adopt it. But one of the things I think that could be really successful for them is because the um, because the NZIA is convened by the UN, and um, they've also got some very good experience from having done this with other financial services industries. So as an example, the UN have already worked with very large working groups that have done this across banking investment and asset management. So I'm really encouraged by what I've seen already, but also for, for what the methodology being published later this year will look like. You mentioned that it's a European-led consortium, but a lot of this is, this is, this is of global relevance, uh, although Europe in some cases does tend to be leading on it. The UK has really got some of the more rigorous reporting requirements just now. I'm sure as you're looking at it, you are looking at it globally. I mean, Excel is exposed to companies globally. You are part of a global group. But what, how does that balance work? Is the NZI, is that primarily a Europe-focused organization or, or is it you know, effectively it's a global, it's got a global mandate, albeit led by some companies in Europe. It absolutely has has a global mandate to it. And hopefully the methodology will be adopted globally by, by companies uh, across the world. Um, and as I reiterate the importance of that for it to be an industry standard methodology. But I, I think we're seeing the European carriers leading in this space is due to increased regulation on disclosures in particular. So um, there is more pressure on European and UK companies to be publishing scope-free emissions data. And that regulation point is really important. I have a great belief that innovation struggles in a vacuum, and, and like it or not, regulation is actually often what drives people to make changes and bring in new analytics because you can't avoid regulation. And so there's an urgency around doing it. And, and to that point, when the NZI is doing its work, how does it work with the commercial organizations out there. I mean, for example, if someone's listening to this who is either interested in going off and developing some data metrics or already has some analytics they think would form a valid role as part of this, I, mean, I don't imagine that the working parties are doing this in isolation. So what is that kind of collaboration like between commercial organizations or academic organizations that you may look to want to grow what they're doing? The NZIA is working with a, a number of commercial partners that could be providing framework solutions to these methodologies. 
So I don't think anybody should be put off if they've got uh, an idea or a way of harnessing data in a different way, because I, I don't think anybody sat within the NZIA saying that they've got the right answer at the moment. This is definitely a journey. And even when the methodology is published later this year, there's always going to be improvements and developments that could be made in future. So if somebody's got an idea or is working on, as you say, like it's something new, a new way of using data, um, I, I think there's opportunities to get involved. And then picking up on that theme, what areas are there where you feel there's still gaps and needs for information? I think that's probably quite a broad question, but if somebody's looking to help insurers or looking to go and explore areas to develop more insights into more metrics, what would you point them towards? So for me, one of the, the biggest um, hurdles that the insurance industry is about to face from a, from a data and analytics perspective is that we're about to be the receivers of huge amounts of unstructured data. So when we start asking uh, our clients and companies about their own ESG strategies, about their net zero transition pathways, um, we're going to be receiving that in, at the moment, what appears to be quite an unstructured way. So for us to be able to do the analytics off the back of that, we need to make sure we're capturing that information in in a very relevant way that can then be analysed. Um, for, for me, I, I think that that is a, a big gap that we're going to face as an industry. Of course, something consistent uh, across the industry would always be beneficial, but I, I think there's definitely opportunities there for third parties to start contributing to how insurance companies can deal with that challenge. Picking up on your sort of prior role with Lloyd's and your you know, current roll through our accident. I know that's part of the, the current or last cohort that Lloyd's now running and actually the one next one coming up is around climate as well. Is there anything anything to add on that that either you've seen or you'd recommend people think about with regards to what Lloyd's is doing either through the lab or you know, the product innovation facility or the next manifestation of that? Yeah, absolutely. So the product innovation facility is now rebranded to the Lloyd's product launch pad as we align ourselves in it in a much better way to the Lloyd's lab. And for the cohort eight, I think, which is the next cohort, um, amazing that we're on to number, number eight already. Um, one of the topics in there is, of course, decarbonization of climate change. There's a huge amount of work which needs to be done around the, the validation of net zero transition pathways or carbon reduction pathways. And also the way that we, for example, would trigger a reassessment of what a carbon reduction plan looks like. So again, insurers are plagued with legacy systems and very complex operating systems, which means that it's very challenging for us to capture all of this information and start actually using it for, for good purpose. We're big fans of the lab, and I know that Hayley Maynard is going to be picking up your mantle, so I've got no doubt all the good work you've been doing uh, will be continue with high energy and uh, looking forward to seeing what comes out in that next cohort. I definitely always recommend that Lloyd's Lab for anybody around the world, actually, who wants to take take part in that. So yeah, great to see that's going on. And and then, Katie, just in terms of other people doing what you're doing in insurance companies, you know, Lloyd's, one of the benefits of Lloyd's and you know, many insurers is that sort of syndicated nature of it, the collaboration in areas that aren't directly competitive. Are there a, a group of you now that get together and talk about some of the ways to develop this for your own organizations. Obviously, the NZIA is doing this, uh, and I know it's got a number of CEOs, and it's kind of coming at it from a methodology level, but is there also more of a day-to-day a -day practical group of people collaborating with ideas? Yeah, there, there are lots of forums which are popping up across the market to enable that. So, of course, we have that uh, very high-level industry, NZIA. Lloyd's have also got the Sustainable Markets Initiative, 
Um, we have the, the product launchpad f- focusing on decarbonisation and climate. And then there are also other industry bodies which bring together um, working groups and, and forums to discuss good practice and, and, and good regulation, good governance as well, to be honest. So I mentioned earlier, we have the, the LMA forums, the IUA forums. There'll be industry bodies all over the world pulling together insurance professionals to talk on this topic as well. Hello, I'm Ali Smedley and I'm part of the Research and Insights team at Instech. I also write our monthly climate newsletter. We're tracking all the information we think you need to know about what is happening right now in hurricanes, wildfire, flood, hail, freeze and whatever else 2022 throws at us. We'll be sharing our insights and the facts that matter. You can sign up on our website, so that's www.instech.london forward slash climate or you can use the link in the podcast notes. And of course, if you're a member of Instech and want to be sure we don't miss out on your news, you can let us know by emailing news at instech.london. So Katie, we've covered an awful lot there. Um, we didn't have to spend days doing it. I think you were very efficient at how you communicate things and we'll give you the chance to read this as well so they can go back and get all the great insights. But if there is one thing you'd like people to remember from this and take away from it, I'm sure they'll remember many, but if there's one thing above all else, what would that be? It's a great question, and I, I think it would be that um, insurance companies don't have all the answers at this stage. So what's really interesting about this stage of the journey is that insurance companies are only just starting to learn about what it is that they, they want to achieve from both the purpose perspective and what's required of them from e.g. A, a regulatory perspective um, on the topic of ESG. And I think for, for anybody who is um, trying to maybe solve some of the problems that insurers are starting to face in this space and, and taking those opportunities, they, they need to go to, to the table and to those conversations in, in a really informed way from an ESG perspective, but with a really open mind and asking the right questions of the insurers to understand what it is that they're looking to achieve. So it's going to be different for every insurance company and then finding out what the pain points are so that they can start to, to help solve those problems. Yeah, that's a really good suggestion. Going away from mind, I mean, not just every insurance company is different, but depending who you're talking to in the insurance organization, they're going to have different priorities depending if they're underwriting or investment or somewhere else. So yeah, thanks for that. And then finally, for anybody that wants to learn a little bit more about what we've talked about here, where would you point them towards to get a bit more insight, either what you're up to, Rax or Excel's up to, or anything else you think is relevant? Yeah, absolutely. So I would say again that the, the Lloyd's Lab and engaging with um, with people at the, the launchpad is a fantastic, uh, fantastic place to start and, and get involved. Of course, podcasts like this, fantastic one. Um, and there's a huge number of online resources to start informing yourself about ESG uh, in a more practical way. Um, I'm also very happy to connect with people personally uh, on LinkedIn. I, I post a a small amount at the moment on on LinkedIn, but very happy to, to engage with anyone who, who wants to take this conversation forward. Great. Okay. Well, that's really helpful. Katie Lennon on LinkedIn. Katie, thank you very much for your time. I really appreciate it. You've got a vast job ahead of you, but really good to hear that you've managed to um, enthuse your colleagues to support you on that even in a very practical kind of way. So I look forward to checking in in, uh, in some you know, mid time next year to see how things are going on. Thank you very much for recording this on Friday. It's getting close to the weekend, so I'm going to let you go. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me, Matthew. It's been great. Well, there was a lot to take in there, and you can find the transcript on our website, plus everything else we are up to, www.instec.london. 
Now, we're back with digital events in February and have managed to fit in two live evening events here in London in March. So look out on the website for details. If you are feeling a bit confused about who to talk to about your business or wondering who you should be partnering with and want to benefit from Instech membership, then you can track me down, Matthew Grant, via LinkedIn or any of us. Hello at instech.london. <laughs>